For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is December 7th, 2023. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Bob, and it's only, it's almost the end of 2023. How are you doing? Uh, I don't know. I'm not okay with that fact. Like, <laughs> end of, I'm it's happy that it's almost minute. holiday season. Uh, but yeah, still can't get over the fact that it's December already and the year just flew by. We had a lot of fun. It, uh, yeah, I mean, this may sure. or may not be the last show of the season. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. <clears throat> but you know, we're getting towards the end of this uh, this full year, which yeah. has been quite a quite a ride, I would say. I know it has. Been, how many sure. how many national parks did you visit in twenty twenty three? And, you're, and you're, you're you got one more, right? Yeah, so, one more. Oh, two more. <laughs> two more. If you count. Yeah, both of those. Yeah. Oh, there there right, are multiple right. national parks. Like, yeah. That's uh, fair. Yeah. So. Two more remaining. Uh, I I think I covered more national parks last year, or maybe the same number. But I don't know. I'm happy, like with I, the I way mean, travel. Most of my study is good. What? Yeah. And you leave next week for Patagonia, right? I leave tomorrow. Oh, geez, that's right. Yeah. That's so right, I have tomorrow. to get this so, recording in. Yeah. And go. then, <laughs> then I can enjoy my vacation. You know, I, I needed to do this. <laughs> nice, nice. So Patagonia, and you said there's two. Yeah, so no, so, so Patagonia is an actual region, right? And then yes. there's a, a national park called Torres del Paine in, on the Chilean side. And then okay. I don't know what the national, I think Los Glaciares. I, you I can say the literally anything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, on the Argentinian <laughs> side. And yeah, I'm going to do both of those. Uh, so the, the plan is to rent a car in Argentina, drive over to Chile, do the national park there, do a long day hike, like a 13 mile hike. Uh, and then on a couple of days later, yeah, a couple of days later, drive to Argentina, do a similar uh, hike, like 13 miles, 3000 feet of elevation gain on the Argentinian side. And then if, if I still have some energy remaining in my legs, I have a couple of smaller hikes in the same area. So let's see. I'm excited and nervous. Nice. Like I don't, clearly you have never seen me speak Spanish. So I'm going to completely <laughs> rely on Google Translate and see how that well, goes. You know, uh, I mean, I took Spanish in, in, in middle school and I could tell you, I yeah. still wouldn't want to speak Spanish. I'm pretty terrible at it. Yeah. Okay. I, I could get by, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. like, you know, okay. today's technology, <laughs> I think you're in yeah. better hands. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the thing that like made me feel better about myself was like, I have a, I had a colleague uh, at my previous job who was very fluent in, in Spanish. He okay. grew up in Arizona. And then when he went to Patagonia a couple of years back, he's like, they speak so fast that even if you understand that, you can't really have a conversation. So even he ended up showing things on a Google Translate app, like I want to go to the ATM. <laughs> and, nice. and then the Uber driver basically took him. So yeah, I think if, if, if even if I knew Spanish, it wouldn't have helped. That, that's my... That's such uh, a powerful reason. tool though today. You go to any country and pretty much, as long as you have service, you could you yeah. can translate, right? Oh, like, you can actually download these offline as yeah. well. So you can download specific yeah. languages offline. and So nice. Yeah, I know. Like, 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 I, I under. It's kind of that feeling where, you know, we grew up today with GPS and things like that. And, and yeah. if if you get like, you tell someone to go somewhere without Google Maps, yeah. is I feel like that's a very similar feeling. They're like, "What do I do?" You know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at I least follow, in so India, I follow the signs. <laughs> what do at the least signs in India? tell me? 
<laughs> we don't have great signs but we have people everywhere you know bad, like you I can bad, but i feel like i need to experience <laughs> yeah. so you can always stop at a crossroad and ask somebody they'll not give you good directions but they'll at least get you the ne- to the next person there. yeah, yeah no, <laughs> to the next person who can maybe help you better than him so <laughs> all right you'll get there eventually right that's called an adventure that's what I- <laughs> yep <laughs> It's not quite choose your own. It's more like let someone else choose your own adventure. It's a new new category. Anyway, it sounds like a blast. Um, Today's topic, super fun. We have a Mm -hmm. one-on-one topic again. Mm -hmm. It's you and I talking about stuff. And uh, today we're going to talk about AL. uh, (laughs) Yeah. That, exactly. <laughs> AI, ML, LLMs, all the terms, what they actually mean yeah. at a very high level. So that'll be really exciting. But yeah, even um, if you get just the full forms for those terms, I think we, we'll call yeah. this a win. <laughs> so anything yeah. on top you is just if cherry you don't just on the top. Mix them together like I just did. Yeah, then you're, yeah. you're in good shape. <laughs> um, no, cool. and well, I, I like this format, like uh, yeah. like not the 101 format, right? But when we do 101s, I like the, the evening setting when it's calm. Like you don't have to worry about Slack notifications and like okay you can have a conversation it's chill it's evening we're good to go yeah 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 i i I like this is a good setting for a one-on-one exploratory uh topic for sure yep (laughs) as you said like i want to set that the baseline right now like again not experts just here to make sure that we're learning together as a community we want to share what we learned and then if you have comments send them to ryan <laughs> and then we'll we'll maybe <laughs> call a different uh, uh, expert in the field who has been doing AIML for longer than two three months to yeah. talk more about it uh, that's the plan right after yeah. every one-on-one we have a, a, yeah. a whole bunch of guests on who know a lot more than we do about this type of thing yeah. but if you were at kubecon like bob and i just were mm-hmm. or even if you weren't and watched some of the uh fallout Session. from it yeah or any conference going on right now, <laughs> you know that AI and ML are pretty much the topic that's covered yeah. first, right? Yep. Um, it, it, it's, it's the, you know, it's, it's top of mind for everyone, every company, every organization, every yep. team, I would say. So that's why we're doing this and we're going to dig in and hopefully get some really cool uh, use cases and sort of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like that after the fact, but you know, we have to cover the basics one way or another. Yeah. So, Yep, for sure. Cool. Okay, well, let's, let's start with some news, though. Little, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's get some news going. How about you start off? Okay, so like it's week after KubeCon, right? So none of the vendors are announcing anything. But but uh, that also means AWS reInvent was last week. And they, as you said, Ryan, like it felt like an AI ML conference, not a cloud computing conference. <laughs> because I, the main keynote... I wasn't keynote, there, thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully, this year I wasn't able to go, and I was okay with yeah. that. That makes me sense. neither. Like I, I, I was watching the keynotes live. Uh, but yeah, the first keynote, the where they are supposed to announce everything are in AWS. They started doing that for the first fifteen minutes, and then okay. it just went into AI. And then they had like a dedicated AI or Gen AI keynote on day two, which again went spent like two oh, hours totally talking dedicated. about AI announcements. Nice, yeah. So uh, a lot of AI content, but yeah, that's not what I have for news. Uh, a couple of things that are more relevant to like EKS and, and cloud native infrastructure. Uh, Amazon okay, EKS yeah. announced something called as EKS pod identity, uh, which helps simplify I, the way you pass IAM permissions to your Amazon EKS clusters or your pods running on that EKS cluster. Uh, so before this, uh, the way you did it was uh, using something called IAM uh, roles for service accounts or IRSA. So you created an IAM role, you uh, then mounted that IAM role as a service account. Now mm-hmm. you can create a, 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 an identity that you can actually mount to a specific pod. So uh, you create an IAM role with the required permissions, and then you specify a, a, a specific service principle called pods.eks.amazon.com. And then when you are deploying this, you map it to a service account directly from the Amazon EKS console or APIs or AWS CLIs. And that's how your pod actually get those permissions that you can manage from outside the Kubernetes cluster. So even though Kubernetes has its own RBAC, if you want your pod to have access to AWS services, so it can maybe spin up an S3 bucket on your behalf, uh, you can you can uh, control all of those permissions and policies from AWS IAM and mount them using this new pod identity uh, feature that they have. Got it. So this is like service to service identity, so to speak. Yeah, like it's yeah. about like the the pod and and the the access to different AWS services that it has. Yeah. 
Yep. Uh, and then I, the, I, did, this, I did a quick search, but I, I want to say this helps in like the zero trust world, but I, it doesn't yeah. come up anywhere, but <laughs> I feel like it does. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I think the second service I just found it cool was like AWS fault injection service. Uh, and that just brings like chaos engineering to the forefront. Uh, so now they have different scenarios that you can like uh, create templates and actually play against your applications running in your AWS account where you can simulate things like uh, availability zone, power interruption, cross-region connectivity nice. issues, uh, EKS stress from a CPU perspective, from a disk perspective, uh, introduce or uh, delete random pods inside your EKS cluster. You can, you, they have a, a scenario library for all of these weird events. And like, even though people can use it for chaos engineering, I'm just like, I think I'm going to start using these for like my official work demos because this just looks cool, dude. Like, oh, this AWS is great. showing me the yeah. best way to fail things. So yeah, <laughs> that's what At I'm the very least, you can see like, you know, what happens when I press this button? Yeah, you know? <laughs> I know. Yeah, Is my application yeah. ready? Nope, it wasn't. Let's try again. <laughs> I mean, the yeah. EC2 stress for disk, right? This is one that mm -hmm. we've done in the past sort of like manually. I mean, I, yeah. I think that's the benefit is people are doing this stuff anyway. So why not make yep. it something you can just, you know, access from this library? But I yeah. Know you know, increase the disk utilization and see what happens. Memory, yeah. all that stuff, right? It makes a ton of sense. Uh, this is yeah. very cool. I like this. Yeah. So like those were the only two items. I know AWS reInvent didn't just have two announcements, but yeah, there are a lot more if, if you guys just want to do like a basic Google search. Absolutely. That's it for news. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's, let's not waste any time then. We're going to yeah. dive into our AI and ML 101 episode. I, I, I did it fine that time. I know. So it's I didn't, awesome. I didn't mix the terms together. I'm proud of you. Speaking dude. of terms, yeah. thank you. Speaking <laughs> of terms, let's start with the basic question, right? Yeah. What is artificial intelligence when someone mm -hmm. asks or use that word or sees that word? What is machine learning? Yeah. And what's the difference between deep learning? Okay. Yeah. So I think I, I like I like this question because this talks about the pre-gen AI, pre-LLM thing. Again, not yeah. pre uh, in in terms of like, but these were this these terms well, have been LLM around for a while. Technically, are a form of deep learning, right? But we'll yeah. we'll get into yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like starting with AI, right? Like AI is the actual discipline. Uh, so everything you just listed is part of artificial intelligence. So like machine learning, it's part of AI. Like machine learning is actually a subfield of artificial intelligence. But if you're talking about any of these things, you can talk about it as AI. Uh, and before then, we before we move on, though, I feel yeah. like I need to pose the question for every one of our listeners. Yeah. Please comment either anywhere you can comment or on our Slack. What is your favorite artificial intelligence movie? Oh, need to know. Mine's Ex Machina. By the okay. Way. <laughs> I think I knew that. Or I could have deducted that. I, I've definitely <laughs> talked about it before. <laughs> or shared GIFs from, yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, continue okay. with your conversation. No, yeah. So like machine learning uh, is, is that subfield of artificial intelligence, right? Uh, I think it, it was taking like a history lesson. Uh, it was originally defined in 1950s as the field of study that gives computers the ability to learn without being explicitly programmed. That's that's the crux of it. Right? Like I, I I love that definition because it's like you are it's just simple. yeah, it's simple. Like and it tells you exactly what it is. Like you don't have to tell the computer what to do. It can like it, it you can give it or have uh, make sure that it has the ability to do certain things without explicitly training it or writing a, a specific piece of code that tells uh, tells it how to do certain tasks. So machine learning is where you give the machine a lot of data, ton of data, and let it learn or let it train on its own. And then you can expect it to imitate intelligent human behavior. So this is where like, okay, you're training a model and then you're using a model to predict things or generate things, but trying to mimic what a human would do in a specific situation. That, I mean, you bring up the whole training aspect. Yeah. I think there's a uh, there's a a point which I think we should stop and and distinguish between the two sort of modals of mm -hmm. of how this works, right? There's kind of two steps in this process. It's like yeah. everything that happens beforehand, and then the thing, the 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 artifact that is actually doing the the inferencing, right? So yeah. maybe we explain the difference between those two. Yeah, for sure. So like when you're talking about machine learning, right? Uh, if you're talking about the before, that's the training stage. And the training stage is not like one simple step. It, it involves uh, a, a few different steps where you are actually getting access to a lot of raw data. 
and then you are processing that data or prepping that data uh, and then you are you are building a data set on which your model can actually be trained uh, and this actually like this is where machine learning itself can be divided into multiple subcategories based on the type of data so if you are using labeled data sets that becomes supervised learning so if you are going to train a model the simplest example whether something is a cat or a dog you are giving the mod the machine the data in which you have specific images of dogs and cats but they are labeled as such so it's learning that okay if it uh, if it's a dog if it's the label is dog this is how it should you look like and then it's building that intelligence in it so like when you are actually going to the second phase which is the inferencing you are using that model and when you upload a specific random image of a dog or a cat it should ideally if it's trained properly tell you whether it's a dog or a cat and th- that's a very simplistic example but you can think about it in so many different ways right let's say like in your emails you ha- you get so many spam emails but now google emails and maybe even outlook has become so good in terms of identifying which are the spam emails versus which are legit emails because underneath it there was supervised learning where they trained the model with a lot of spam what a spam emails look like and what do legit emails look like and now it it like mm-hmm. tells you like it automatically sorts that and makes a decision for you mostly correctly like in most cases uh, pretty accurate uh, you can also use this for like skin cancer detection right like if you're training your model on label data sets so like it's not that skin cancer was something that was recently discovered and people have been doing that right like there have been so many uh, instances of that we have a, a lot of data if you go to kaggle you'll see a, a, an actual data set of things being properly labeled as something that shows a cancerous cell versus a non cancerous or like a regular cell and then you train your model on it and it that the model can actually help you infer whether something uh, a, a picture that you upload ha- is cancerous or not so that's how like supervised learning works usually uh, Ryan to answer your question right like uh, when you when you have a data set and you want to do supervised learning uh the best practice is it is to like split it 80 20 so you train your model on 80% of that data set and then you want to validate or test whether the model is actually performing in the right way using that remaining 20% of the data before you actually release that model in the wild and do inference so 80 20 is a good rule based on just my research uh but yeah uh, supervised learning implies the data is already labeled uh the yeah. second subcategory sorry go ahead No, I was just going to say like a lot of people probably have heard of especially who are not necessarily in this technology world, right, uh mm-hmm. of ChatGPT, right? That's like the it kind of like brought mm-hmm. AI ML into kind of how how people can interact with it. As an example, right, big sets of mm-hmm. data that it learns on is things you've already heard of. Um text from books, Wikipedia, yeah. news articles, scientific yeah. journals, right? It's just consuming <laughs> tons and tons of data and that's like uh, I think the yeah. version 3, right, that it officially kind mm-hmm. of came out and made a big difference. But like that's yeah. that's what Bobbin's talking about, right? It's it's consuming tons of past examples and finding mm-hmm. these sort of uh, uh you know, patterns essentially and and yeah. being able to compare what a dog pattern looks like to another dog. <laughs> so it may not yeah. like it may be biased, right? And and that's a, probably something we'll talk about a little bit later. But anyway, I wanted to give that example yeah. since it's probably one that everybody's thinking about. Yeah, no, makes sense. And then I think the se- second uh, like I will we'll quickly cover the remaining two subcategories of traditional machine learning like unsupervised learning where you don't have labeled data, it's unlabeled data and you just throw your machine towards it and ask it to find patterns or trends hmm. that may be even difficult for humans to figure out so uh this is this is where people are building these recommendation systems where if you are shopping something on amazon it knows what to show you next or if you are uh it, the the simple way like if you go to a grocery store they know to how to put uh, diapers alongside beer Uh, again humans would have never made that connection right <laughs> but looking at all of that data have, that they had now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's where uh, unsupervised learning can come into the picture uh, financial fraud detection so like unsupervised learning like looks at your data and then it dis- splits it into different clusters so if something is outside that specific cluster that means it's not part of that group and that can really help in 
financial fraud detection. Like if something is outside the cluster of previous transactions or outside your usual pattern of spending uh, money, it will generate an alert. It will let you know that, oh, this is not some uh, your usual behavior. So like unsupervised learning can obviously help in all of those scenarios. And then the third thing is reinforcement learning. So reinforcement learning is where like you, you don't actually have like data uh, and you don't feed data to your model. Uh, you just tell it that, okay, this is like you have the machine learn specific things based on trial and error and uh, incentivize it to take the best action by establishing like a reward system. So uh, examples where like AI and machine learning models have learned to play chess or Go and beat humans at it, not because they were trained that, okay, this is the best move after this. They learned through series of trials and errors to figure out that okay if they did this they lose the game and they knew that you the humans that train these models shared these rule the rule books with them so the 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 machine knew that okay if i do this i lose okay that's not the right way to do things let me figure out something else and that's why that's how they they learn through this process of reinforcement learning and and they figure out their best way to win win the game so like those are like three main subcategories when we're talking about machine learning. Got it. Got it. So we, we mentioned a little bit about chat GPT already, so mm-hmm. we might as well ask the question. Yeah. So where does generative AI fit into these categories and yeah. the term LLM come into play? Yeah, for sure. So generative AI and LLM, I think you said this earlier as well, like they are subsets of deep learning and deep learning uh, can be considered a subset of machine learning. So I'm just c- trying to create smaller circles <laughs> inside bigger circles. Yeah. But yeah, that's where yeah. Gen AI uh, uh, fits. Gen AI and large language models or LLMs are a subset of deep learning. The difference here is instead of it being predictive, so like instead of identifying whether something is a dog or a cat, it is discriminative or it is generative. So like uh, instead of like uh, it's it identifying whether it's a dog or a cat, you tell it, oh, give me a picture of dog and it will generate a new picture of a dog in a uh, just by looking at the text that you gave it. And as you said, right, Ryan, like this involves a huge amount of training, like mm-hmm. massive. Uh, and like we only, like GPT-1, I think came in back in, back in 2016. It only got popular when GPT-3 came out last year. Like I think we, we passed its one year anniversary last month. Like GPT-3 came out because it was trained on a huge data set that it can actually predict or or that it can actually generate things that look like human behavior for that artificial intelligence definition, right? So that's when it it gained traction. So generative AI or LLMs are just means to like do things or generate new things. Uh, as, as, As you said, like it's trained on those scientific journals or on those books. So if you give... Uh, a, a generative AI LLM model, 50 books about different Kubernetes concepts. And after that, when you ask it a question about Kubernetes storage, or let's say CSI, it's not going to find the right sentence in one of those 50 books. It's going to use all of the knowledge that it was trained on and generate an answer for you. So it's like, it's a weird thing where it's not like actually searching for the right answer. It's trying to generate the right answer. I think generate is like the key word. That's why I like to like, I, yeah, I like the which fact is that why it also can be slightly misleading. Yeah. In yeah. Some yeah. Cases. yeah. <laughs> yep. And like, we'll talk about uh, hallucinations in, in the next yeah. section as well. But yeah, as you said, right. Like if it's not trained on enough data or enough, uh, uh, source content, it doesn't know enough. So it will just try to fake things because, yeah. It understands how English works, and then it yeah, has one, some knowledge of everything else. I think one way someone explained it to me was, you know, deep learning as a concept, right? When you have a when when something is deep, you have a lot of something, right? Yeah. You mentioned it has to be trained on a lot, a lot of data, and mm-hmm. in this case, right, the one we're familiar with, um, with like ChatGPT and yeah. LLMs, is the fact that it's so much, it's a lot, it's deep, a deep yeah. amount of data that nice. is trying to mimic the way the human brain learns, mm-hmm. right? So it's trying to mimic who we are, you know, what we're doing, who we are, how we respond. So it needs enough data from the internet, basically, um, <laughs> to try to mimic us. And yeah. sometimes it's good at it. Sometimes it's terrible at it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would boil it yeah, down. I, I, like I, 
I have not seen this in person because again, I don't have any kids right now, but the question for you, right? Like when your daughter was growing up, when you ask her something that she doesn't know about, like she'll yeah. still be confident enough and let just give you random answers, right? Just to show that she can, she can talk, have a conversation with you. But yeah. Or sometimes she but, just uses words. She doesn't know. Right. Yeah. Or, or doesn't know what they mean. She's just like, yeah, you know, that, that, that. <laughs> so, yeah. So you, 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 you so. <laughs> and once you teach her about a subject, like uh, not a, a subject as in a person, but like the the con the concept, then she'll be able to have like a proper discussion. So I think that's that's it with LLMs. Like not non like if the LLM is not trained enough data, it's like talking to a kid where they'll this still gives say me the things. idea. This gives yeah. me an idea. You know that you remember that show that are you smarter than a fifth grader? Right? You remember that show? Nope. No. It was no. this was a show where like basically a fifth grade education be, um they would compare it to like a contestant anyone anyone who could come okay. on there and try to beat like are you smarter than a fifth grader question i would love to see this against an ai system <laughs> that Ooh. is like trained on nice. fifth grade yeah. education uh anyway total sidetrack but uh you know, <laughs> no, i like that dude like i would watch that show f- at least for a, uh, for a season like then it depends on how, how they produce it <laughs> all right yeah. so uh, um so, so speaking of LLMs, um, mm-hmm. what is sort of, so what does model training look like and, um, how do sort yeah. of like the inferencing differ from traditional mm-hmm. ML versus gen AI? Yeah, for sure. So like with, with the, the, the traditional machine learning, right. We spoke about like the data prep stage, the model training stage, and then inference in, in, in that life cycle or in that pipeline you needed a lot of compute resources or GPU resources to do the actual training. Like, so it was more accessible to every organization because maybe you can train a a computer vision model for your manufacturing facility by just having access to like four or eight GPUs. And like you trained a model on that. And when you wanted to run that model, you, you may maybe even don't need a GPU or maybe a CPU worked for you. So like you can deploy these, like you can train those computer vision models inside your data center and then you can deploy it at each manufacturing facility without the need for GPUs. So like the resource intensive part was like on the inference side was lighter. With LLMs and Gen AI, like we keep hearing uh, the amount of resources and amount of money being pumped into these startups like OpenAI, like uh, Anthropic, like uh the 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 larger companies like google cloud and and meta because again only those guys can actually afford to train these large language models because they are really resource intensive you can't even imagine the number of nodes like i, I as i still remember like the open ai article which i'll refer to like later in the uh, in the episode as well when they spoke about how they were training their model in on 2500 kubernetes nodes and there were a lot of gpus involved in that and this was a kubecon europe talk back from 2017 and like just imagine like and the, at that point their gpt models were not even good enough so yeah. they they published a a blog in 2021 where they they were now running uh, their training on 7500 nodes so the amount of compute needed is just crazy. But the one thing that I wanted to highlight is with Gen AI or, or with LLM, right? Forget about training because that only a few companies can actually do that. Even for inferencing, these models that are generated, like the uh, Llama 2 or Llama 70B, that's the Llama mod, open source model from Meta uh, that's been trained on 70 billion parameters. It actually needs 140 gigs of gpu memory to run inference on so like even if like forget about running these things on cpu because it it will take days if even if it gets deployed to get you a simple answer but even you can't like do it on your laptop which has which maybe has a gpu on it you need a proper uh compute environment to actually perform inferencing as well so i think that's the difference i wanted to highlight like even with with these newer models even inferencing has become so resource intensive uh than than the previous generation yeah not to mention the the power consumption per gpu oh. that some of these can take too so mm-hmm. it's not the most green effort and probably could use some some more thought um yeah that's a whole nother yeah. that's a whole nother podcast I, yeah it is so, <laughs> uh, but like i was listening to a different podcast and they had a sponsor which is a gpu cloud provider like all they do is provide you yeah. gpu instances and the way they have done this is instead of relying on traditional 
electric systems power grids inside countries they have started building these near like out outside in the middle of nowhere where they can stretch network cables but they can have their own nuclear plant or they can have solar <laughs> farms they can have like uh hydroelectricity being generated so like they are trying to do some of these things by looking at other sources of energies rather than just using traditional electricity but yeah as you said like all of these things require so much so much compute and so much power uh it's crazy but but one good thing that i like is uh hey like i was never a big fan of crypto so like instead of using all of the same amount of power to do anything in crypto <laughs> i think i like the ai thing better like let, let's use well, this you know, for just something that ai will do it for us next so it's still, yeah, still yeah. going to do crypto mining it's just having ai do it for us <laughs> so it's going to be so you know turtles all the way down still <laughs> yeah i know and nvidia right, stock so- just keeps going up like that's it <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> all right so let's bring it back to like reality yeah. right so Um, let's talk about how people are starting to use LLMs, um, in this case, besides our podcast coming up with kind of silly (laughs) questions, um, to to ask our guests, right? How how are actually, uh, companies being used and how are they kind of fine tuning those? Yeah. And I I have a few examples, Ryan, so feel free to share people, thing, anecdotal things that you have heard about in the industry as well. For me, I've seen like vendors in the ecosystem build chatbots, like that's, one of the, sure. the simplest use cases. People like, know okay. how to use them, right? That's yeah, the, yeah. That's the reality of it, yeah. So it made it accessible. It has the ability to summarize your capabilities. It has the ability to, uh, if you point it to like your internal repository of documents or policies, it can go and look at all of those things and then give you accurate answers almost. Uh, so like, I think that's important. I like the idea that you had. I was just talking to somebody, like a friend of mine, uh, who works for a consultancy and they're like they get all of these infrastructure documents or documents from their clients like 40 pdfs and yeah. they have to like summarize everything and then make sure they have all that information ready <laughs> they have started using like the aws bedrock service uploading all of those documents there and then all they need to do is just ask that chatbot a question like okay what was this about and then it just uh, based on the the data it got from that forty PDFs, it it gives you the right answer. So yeah, it is saving some time and some effort uh, for people. So I li- I like that. But it's I mean it yeah. still definitely relies on the individual right to interpret yeah. the response right. So that like that's the whole thing here is that you know false information is a real problem, right? Yeah, we we assume that this chatbot is smarter than us and whatever mm-hmm. it spits back to us like people believe anything on the internet you already know this True. most people already mm-hmm. know this <laughs> unfortunately people follow our so- podcast like i'm sure we <laughs> we can we can say kubernetes is not great and then i'm i'm hoping at least one person believes it come on man <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so, so like how does how does this occur in llms i think you mentioned it before hallucinations actually yeah. happen right um what does that actually mean and how you know how can we kind of like combat this yeah for sure I, I think uh like i just thought about a different use case so i'll i'll, I'll talk about that before moving to hallucinations uh this was an interesting thing, dude. Like it blew my mind. Like the, there are, so we have been talking about text to text LLMs, right? Uh, sure. But there are also image generation LLMs. If you go to like stable things like stable diffusion, uh, just go and look up Microsoft designer. There are so many things out there that can, just by giving it text, it will generate an image for you. Uh, like yeah. in the gaming industry, whenever developers are working on games, they actually need designers on staff to design how different chairs or how different bar stools or how different buildings would look like. And I think the example was they have to make sure that couches in all different rooms inside the game have to be different and they paid a lot of money to designers. Now, all they need to do no is just... notice anyway. Like, it's the yeah, reality. <laughs> it, nobody notices, right? But if you see the same thing over and over again, it will matter. So, like, to create that yeah. good user experience for that gamer, they were hiring designers before this. Now, it's like they're just generating new images based on a model and it's giving them 100 different types of couches, which solves and accelerates so many things i don't know i when i heard about it, it i was like scary Man. too though because like i mean in that perfect example right mm-hmm. uh i think which many people might be afraid of is like is ai gonna take people's jobs yeah the reality is 
Yes. Right. (laughs) But at the same time, AI will also produce some jobs Mm -hmm. and how to, you know, design and and kind of architect these things. And so like, I will, I'm not predicting the future, but there's some balance that will happen, but yes, the reality is it will take the job of some people. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, that's the upskilling that's needed. Right. And hopefully we can help people part uh, and be part of their journey as they're learning more about things similar to how we are learning more about things in real time. So uh, hopefully we can keep doing this podcast for longer and not just have AI replace us too. Okay. (laughs) Now we'll just feed it all of our episodes and tell it to come up with new ones. Yeah. I think somebody did it's that an experiment for, that's worth trying once. I think. No, for sure. Like for the community Bytes podcast, like the all in podcast, it's like a popular, like top five podcast in, in usual, all the ratings, not, not a technology podcast, uh, but people took all of like their library for the past two years, fed it to yeah. a, a model and it had to generate an actual podcast episode. And it, it was oh, good. So like, someone already did this. Yeah. Was it good? Yeah. It was like it, like it, it faked things, and th- that can tie us back to hallucinations. But it had I the ability should, I to. I think we should produce a Kubernetes bytes episode generated by AI. I feel yeah. like it needs to happen. Yeah, let's figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we can, can we can facilitate that. <laughs> let us know because I'm so interested. <laughs> That's true. We can we can take a vacation. Like we can go sit on the beach, and then the podcast no, will just keep to see what it comes up with. I'd love to hear. Yeah. The interpretation of, of Bob and Ryan, you know, yeah, that's true <laughs> from the perspective of that. Or if it just creates a guest, like, what you know, what would it do? Oh, I don't know. I would like that. Yeah. Would it just make someone up? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, if you look at our historical information, most of our guests are from vendors. So, like, maybe it creates a it new could. startup idea, dude, like on its own. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so, I'm, I'm very interested. Yeah. In doing mind that. is anyway, blown. Moving blown right now. Okay. <laughs> Coming back to hallucination. So, uh, so lack, as we discussed, right? Lack of information or lack of enough data set that it's been trained on leads to hallucination. So it's trying to like generate text based on what it has been trained on. But if it wasn't trained on the right amount of data, it's kind of useless. Uh, so a good a good example of this, right? Uh-huh. That I uh, that I've heard too is like documentation is key yeah. for any anything, right? Yep. Really, really anything. Any any job profile, any demographic, whatever it mm-hmm. may be, it doesn't even have to do with technology. <laughs> documenting that thing is key but we've all heard the term especially in technology tribal knowledge yeah right? there is tribal knowledge within all aspects of of life technically yeah. right so to a certain extent a a, a model can't learn tribal any knowledge. tribal knowledge right because <laughs> that's, that's something that someone else knows it's not out there in a book <laughs> or on a website right? yeah. and these are these gaps that it it kind of fills in and you're like mm-hmm. someone might know the actual th- re- reality of that but no no the ai's just job is to just fill in what it thinks might be there yeah although right so like it is a statistical model so like it's yeah. just trying to like figure out what's the next word that would make sense in the sentence and can just make things up like i, I remember like when chat gpt3 came or gpt3 came out and we got free access to it okay let me try it out i just asked it for a spe- like oh can portworks do this and obviously it wasn't something that it can do, but it generated yeah. like an entire doc page. Like, Oh, this, these are the steps. Click here on this button. And like, no, those, those things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, uh, but yeah, there is a way to avoid hallucinations and that can like, the, obviously the, the people that are building these models can keep training it on, on more and more data. So like, I think chat G- GPT-5, whenever it comes out, it will be trained on like a trillion parameters. And that's a whole lot of d- data. Uh, but right. right now, you, you can use your existing things. And if you're creating these chatbots or if you're creating your own custom LLMs based on open source LLMs, you can use something called as vector databases uh, and use that as the source of current information. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's say, for example, if you, uh, the Llama 2 model or the Claude model from Anthropic has been trained on everything, but it understands how English works or English semantics works. It understands English grammar, but it doesn't really know anything about uh, Massachusetts state law. <laughs> so if you ask it a question like, oh, can I wear two earbuds while driving? It, it, it will try to come up with something which would make sense. Like, yeah, it doesn't care. But this is this is something I've learned from Instagram <laughs> that if you are a Massachusetts 
resident resident you can't drive your car with two airpods on like somebody can penalize you for that you can get a ticket for it so massachusetts instagram cons- might not be the best source of truth either though oh, <laughs> that's true <laughs> come on that's ryan don't don't challenge me <laughs> No, agreed. Uh, but uh, Massachusetts can take all of its state laws, uh, put it in a vector database, and then right. when when somebody asks that LLM more information about this specific law, it can give yeah, like a state based model that yeah. someone they could use. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So it's use. like creating these custom models or fine tuning these models or creating these architecture something called as retrieval augmented generation so it's re- trying to retrieve data from your vector database and then like it's using that using that retrieval to augment the generation that it's doing so rag models uh, so in rag architectures you'll always have a vector database that has the current information or that has the relevant information and then b- the llm before it responds to something uh, queries that database and then gives you a, a better answer than it, instead of hallucinating in the first place. So a vector database, like that's a new type of, <laughs> I don't want to say it's a new type of database. Like it is, uh, it, it is, okay, you can use semantic search capabilities or vector search capabilities on even PostgreSQL or MongoDB or Cassandra, for example, things that we are very familiar with. So it, it gives that database the ability to specifically store something called as vectors and vectors are just math- mathematical representations of objects in a multidimensional yeah. space. So I think uh, one easy way to that I visualize this or it helped me visualize things is if you are visualizing like type of clothes, if you have a, a shirt and if you have a pant and a skirt, you will have the pant and skirt that's closer to each other because both of those are like on your lower body and then the shirt is in a different space. So if if you are looking for a pant suggestion, it would go and look at the space near where the other pants are. So like it, but the pants are not stored as pants, right? It's stored as a mathematical or like a numerical representation that's not human readable. It just stores it in that vector database. And then when you ask it for something, it tries to find that information using something called vector search and looks at that information for you. Yeah. And it, like a lot of people are familiar with sort of X, Y, Z in terms of dimensional yeah. space. Yeah, like that's a very consume like consumable type of information. <laughs> when you think about vectors, and mm-hmm. and I think they use the term embeddings, right? Yeah. Um, commonly in vector mm-hmm. data, vector embeddings. Um, think about that kind of like expanded to many other dimensions as well, right? So you yeah. have this kind of like mathematical representation that is beyond X, Y, Z and can, can represent many things. And the reality of it is it's, it's very hard to represent something in uh, something that humans understand. So doing it in, in, in some, some other computer understandable format, mathematical format Mm -hmm. is what a vector is kind of doing for you. And so it's, it's, you know, it's a probably that's one way to think about it that Mm -hmm. maybe it made it make sense a little bit more for me um, just because I'm used to those. (laughs) And I think there's also a second difference where, right? Like in traditional or relational databases, you're look, you're trying to find a specific row in your database based on a private key or primary key, sorry, not a private key. Uh, Vector databases, you're not trying to find the exact answer. You're trying to find the nearest neighbor or like, something that's closest to it. And then there are different search algorithms like K nearest neighbor or just nearest neighbor algorithms. And these can be fast if given enough resources or slow if like you want a really specific answer, uh, close to exact answer as it can. So the, the, the way you search for these vectors can completely differ. But again, as Ryan mentioned, it's XYZ is still yeah, imaginable the, depending, right now. Depending on the model. But it can right? be, yeah, any <clears throat> yeah. dimensional and these are just stored in random numerical digits that you can look up information, but you have to convert your text data into vector embeddings and then search your database for it or something that's close to it. And that's how you find relevant information. One example, one, <coughs> one simplified example that I've mm-hmm. seen over time is where, you know, maybe you've been used to using HTML or mm-hmm. computers at a basic level. You might've heard of RGB, right? Yeah. Uh, the system that sort of allows you to describe a color via numbers. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, RGP is technically a vector system, right? That's true. The, the color green can be represented as six, two hundred and five, and zero. <laughs> technically, right? Yeah. What is what does that mean to a person? Oh, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, that is a vector example, a simplified one because there's no, not I like that, that many dude. dimensions, right? Yeah. But it is it is one version of kind of how that works. No, yeah. And like we, we see a lot of vector databases getting popular. Like last week at AWS reInvent, for three of their database services, they announced vector front end. So you can actually use them as vector databases. Um, you can use Cassandra in a vector mode. I know Datastax is, I don't know, doing a lot of work around enabling the community around vector databases. So go and check out their hands-on trainings or, or and webinars. And vector is a data type, right? So, yeah. so database, other databases can adopt this yeah. data type. Yep. Yeah, it's just about like how they, they are storing things and if they can actually look up that information. So the search cap- semantic search capabilities as well. Uh, MongoDB has a solution that can work. And there are so many of these solutions. There are newer vendors like Pinecone and V8 as well. But that's where we start now slowly pivoting to Kubernetes. You can actually run these mo- uh, models for inferencing and you can run these things, uh, run these vector databases on Kubernetes and, and build your own retrieval augmented generation models uh, for your own use case. Uh, and that's that's how I think after 45 minutes we lead into Kubernetes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I, I will try to find mm-hmm. a link to a, a talk that mm-hmm. I forgot his name from uh, VMware who did a great talk on vector databases yeah. at uh, Data on Kubernetes Day. And, yep. and that th- with that, we'll lead into, so how does this all relate to Kubernetes, right? No, <laughs> I think what, are we, what are we talking about here? Since Kubernetes is so great, like it's so great, but <laughs> in all seriousness, right? Kubernetes solves for so many things already that uh, it makes sense to start from a well-defined starting point for running artificial workload, uh, artificial intelligence workloads. Like it, it doesn't have, like you don't have to go back to running things on bare metal and figuring out how, your own way to orchestrate your uh, models or orchestrate your applications that are using AI. You can still use Kubernetes for it. And like the things that I have learned, like out of all the benefits that Kubernetes provides, a few things that really stand out when we're talking about AI or ML workloads is the shared infrastructure access, right? You can open AI, for example, build this huge cluster with like 7,500 nodes. So it wasn't like multiple different clusters. One big cluster for all of their data scientists and all of their AI researchers to use. And it can share infrastructure very efficiently. So Kubernetes can handle the orchestration base, uh, of, of a specific request coming in from the data scientist on a node inside your cluster that already has certain resources. So the shared infrastructure component is really cool. Uh, NVIDIA, right? They are doing so many good things with their device plugins that have that they have built with Kubernetes or built as add-ons to Kubernetes where uh, you can actually share or share your GPUs concurrently. There are different ways. I know we have covered this in news like a few months back, but mm-hmm. they have a way where you can time slice your GPU. So like entire GPU, but it's sliced. Uh, so everybody gets access to it for some time. You can actually run uh, like wig, uh, MIG, uh, like multi-instance GPU where you can split that entire A100 or H100. Those are really mm-hmm. hard to come by, but you can actually break it down into smaller chunks. And then everybody, every scientist can get a dedicated uh, instance of their GPU that they can perform their training and their inference or whatever they want to do with it. I think the shared infrastructure access with these N- NVIDIA enhancements is really cool. Portability, right? It's yeah, the- sim- sim- similar to like the concepts around containers in general, yeah. like C groups, right? Being able to mm-hmm. kind of split up a, a CPU for various processes and yeah. adopting those kind of techniques for, for ML and uh, AI and stuff like that. So, uh, okay, so Kubernetes, uh-huh. you're able to run these types of workloads on yeah. what are the types of projects that we're talking about right i know kubeflow is an example it's been around for a long yeah. time maybe we can talk about that and there's some new ones like kubray mm-hmm. mlflow and, and some others let's yeah let's for dig sure in there yeah so kubeflow as you said right it has been around for a while they just came out with their 1.8 release a couple of months back uh, but it's an open source project that's aimed to make our enable users to build their machine learning pipelines or workflows on Kubernetes and make them simple, portable, and scalable. Uh, 
they have a lot of components but i'll focus on two today like notebooks right so jupyter notebooks if you are doing anything around machine learning you need an ide and jupyter notebooks have become like the de facto standard that's what everybody uses that's what all the data scientists use to train their models or to do data preparation uh, for in order to train their models everything is done from inside jupyter notebooks you can deploy your jupyter notebooks on your laptop or your macbook on your virtual machine on a cloud instance on a bare metal node you can deploy it anywhere but kubeflow allows you to deploy it on a kubernetes cluster so let's say ryan you are a data scientist you come into the kubeflow ui you ask it for resources like give me two cpus 4 gigs of ram and then give me two c uh, two gpus uh, and 100 gigs of persistent volume or 100 gigs of uh, my workspace storage jupiter or kubeflow basically takes all of these requirements and then spins up a pod on one of the nodes in your kubernetes cluster with these limits or with these requests set and i like the like i like the move from aws where they open source the carpenter project which used to be something yeah. that only worked with eks now if you have carpenter configured on your underlying kubernetes cluster it can actually auto scale your cluster so you don't have to have gpu enabled nodes always all the time on your cluster whenever our data centers actually needs a gpu enabled node that's when carpenter can add to your cluster and deploy that pod and they can perform the training and once once it's done carpenter can get rid of that uh, gpu enabled worker node uh, so that's really cool and then the second thing was the ability to run these machine learning pipelines using the using their module called kubeflow pipeline so it allows people mm-hmm. to build these directed acyclic graphs or dags or dag architecture which shows all the different phases in your machine learning pipeline and then each of that stage when it's actually running gets deployed as a pod and it does certain things and then it has stores some data somewhere and then it goes on to the next stage but the ability to run these machine learning pipelines allows for experimentation and hyperparameter tuning where data scientists if they are going to run some experiments of their own on a specific model that they want they can do that from the kubeflow ui they can share those models across different uh, users or different data scientists on the same team so like all of these features have made kubeflow like a really important part of the ecosystem when we are talking about kubernetes yeah and like pipelines the the way that i think we've think think of them in CICD in general mm-hmm. it's similar in the kubeflow it's doing a particular thing right in in ai ml kind of training or kind of learning there might be steps which might transform a piece of data to mm-hmm. be more understandable for another step right yeah. so there's all these type of things that um you might put into sort of steps mm-hmm. and you want to you want a structured way to understand that and that's yep. really what the kubeflow and it gives you a cool, neat little ui where you can actually look at your logs that your pods are giving out you can actually look at summarization tables things like that so it's super cool uh, one thing that like OpenAI and Anthropic do that's weird. Like it's weird to me. Like they they don't use PVCs and PVs, right? Like they still like for their model training they need a lot of data, but instead of do uh, storing inside Kubernetes, they just use S3. They're like I don't want sure. to worry about spin up, spin down times, attach, detach operations. I'll just use an S3 target as a checkpoint way. So like mm-hmm. any if you're training a model, right? You're you're running that single job for a long long time and you don't want it to fail two days in you spent thousands of dollars on that, those gpu worker nodes and you didn't get anything in return so like at every stage of the pipeline they, these components can actually checkpoint and store something in, in that s3 bucket so if it fails after that it can go back and resume from that checkpoint or from that milestone and continue mm-hmm. working so you're not losing all the all the money that you that you were spending as part of that experiment nice yeah gotcha uh, and then like the next of uh, the uh, the ne- the next few tools that we have right mlflow that's this is becoming a really popular open source tool as well uh, so it doesn't do everything that kubeflow does but it does some things really well it helps you keep track of your machine learning experiments and it records and compares different model parameters so for hyperparameter tuning so hyperparameters are basically parameters that are external to your model itself that you can control from outside so you're trying to figure out what parameters these should be and that's what the exercise is called uh, mlflow actually helps you keep track of these evaluate the performance it also helps you create like a model registry so it manages your artifacts for you so if like kubeflow gives you the ability to prep your data build your models run some experiments mlflow can provide you a model repository give you the ability to monitor your experiment store all of your logs and compare your performance so that's how both of these things can differ you can actually use them together and build like a, an end to end solution and then yeah, uh, and, and i was going to say we can't go mm-hmm. very far without mentioning hugging face again 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Once here. you have a, a model that you're ready to share with, like the rest of your team, yes, go use Hugging Face, Ruby. <laughs> I like awesome. if not for the name alone, just go use it, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Create that sense of inclusiveness. I know that's what we're missing. Anyway, go check uh, it out. Okay. It's definitely a way to uh, be part of the AI community and, and learn yeah. about other people's model models and, yep. and share them as well. Okay, two more things, and then we can start wrapping this up. Kubray. So Kubray uh, is the Kubernetes way to deploy Ray clusters. I was looking at multiple talks, like uh, at Uber, right? They built their whole Michelangelo AI platform for years now. And initially, when they started pre-2017 or pre-2018, it was all based on Apache Spark, and that's what they were using. Uh, but then they figured out like Ray, the open source framework, unified framework for scaling AI and Python applications. They like that better than Spark for their machine learning workload. So Kubray is just taking Ray functionality, bringing it inside Kubernetes. That, that's all it is. So instead of having long running Ray clusters that are maybe not utilized at 100% of the time, because that's a real challenge when you're dealing with AI ML workloads, Kubray allows you to have like a CRD on your Kubernetes cluster. And then whenever a data scientist needs a Ray cluster to perform certain tasks for them, that's when they'll actually spin up a new custom resource inside your Kubernetes cluster with a head node, with the worker nodes inside your Ray cluster. So if you are a data scientist, that functionality isn't changing for you. You're still getting a Ray cluster, complete access to it to do the same things that you were doing. But doing it on Kubernetes makes it more resource efficient. You don't always need to have that running continuously. So it's using, bringing the best of both worlds, right? Like for Kubernetes admins, nothing new. They can start supporting uh, new teams now. And then for for data scientists or AI engineers, they can still continue using their Ray frameworks or uh, Ray models or or Ray, I don't know, frameworks uh, to, to run their AI and Python applications. So I think that's, that's another project that's super cool right now. Uh, again, from my description, right? It's clear that I'm a one-on-one level expert. So we'll definitely try to get more people who can shed some more yeah, light absolutely. on it. <laughs> and then one final thing was the a new open source project, I think since last year called Q. And Q with anything in Not with a Q, with not a with the letter Q. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very clever. It's Q-U-E-U-E. That's what it's called. So uh, this is something no, no, no. I learned. K- K-U-E-U-E. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I just did that. Come on. <laughs> yeah, K. Uh, uh, but this is something I learned at like um, the supercomputing conference, right? Like in traditional HPC workloads or traditional AIML workloads, these are like long running jobs, but they are batch jobs. And Kubernetes, as we know, like it's really good at orchestration, orchestrating workloads, but it's not good at like batching things. Like if you create a Kubernetes job or a cron job object, it will create that pod when it's triggered. Q is, it brings that additional batch scheduling capabilities to Kubernetes. So it decides, it, it doesn't interfere with how Kubernetes actually uh, orchestrates your pods or your application, but it helps it decide when uh, like a job should wait, when a job should be admitted. Uh, so a pod can be started or created uh, at that point. And a, when a job should be preempted, so like active pods can be deleted. So Q adds that additional like batch management capabilities on top of Kubernetes. <clears throat> absolutely yeah i mean there's 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 so much there's yeah. so many projects in this space too right and we yes. literally talk for days i think if we've incited you to go learn or or learn more about something or go research something we've done our job here <laughs> today i yeah. think because uh, it's a really interesting space there's a lot going on in the kubernetes world um there's a lot of interest and a lot of uh, mm-hmm. new places to get involved and start contributing to right whether that's kubeflow yeah. or Overflow or all these other projects or even just kind of your own um your own research or even trying things out i think there's so many places to really get involved and if and if you want to do those things, great. This is a place to start to kind of intrigue yeah. your interest. Um, we will definitely, like Bobin said, have a whole bunch of um, future guests on to kind of dig into these topics because I think mm-hmm. they're uh, they're very top of mind. Like we said, um, yeah. to the whole community. So we're gonna we're gonna and if and if you're one of those people, let us know. We'd love to have you on the show. I know. Yeah, we would love to have you on. Like, there is so much content out there, dude. Like, I've been spending the past two, three months learning more about AI and ML, and this is what I've learned. But that's it. Like, this is <laughs> this is where I stop. There is so much more to learn and so many new projects to explore. So, yeah, we would love and appreciate any experts if they want to join us and, like, share their knowledge with our community. 
Awesome. Well, uh, we'll put as many links as we can in the show notes um, that were mm-hmm. that we talked about in today's episode. Of course, uh, join our Slack uh, to let us know what you like, don't like, share some links, whatever yep. it may be. Uh, suggest some episodes. You can find that as, at KubernetesBytes.com, top center of the page. Join our Slack. That's the best place to do yep. it. Of course, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't yet, and um, give us a review on um, Apple Podcasts if you uh, want to uh, give us some some praise or or dis uh, oh, some love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> either way, either way, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Bavin, I'm with you know anything? Any final yeah. thoughts from you? No, I think this is a really like highly chain like rapidly evolving ecosystem right so we're learning together let's let's do it right like if you want to start conversations on slack and we can collaborate for sure i'm looking forward to it but that's it yeah let's do it i mean i i had a conversation today at my day job um about Uh using this type of technology to help just internal reasons right yeah and there's so many there's so many really cool use cases that you can apply um and it's really fascinating once you start digging into it so we fully yeah. encourage it um uh for you to kind of get your your feet wet so to speak and go way beyond what we just talked about today <laughs> um anyway i'll leave you with that and that brings us to the end of today's episode i'm ryan i'm Pavin, and thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes bites Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. 